Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. back live and in color this week, although I said we, it's just one of us today. Michael Borky with you on Sports Sunday at Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, Stephen is out uh, having a good old time. It's his bachelor party weekend, and he's in New Orleans, and hopefully Stephen's doing okay this morning. I I felt like calling him to see if he'd hop on with us for a segment, but I didn't want to wake him up after a Saturday night running around the French Quarter uh, not too long before he gets married. I think it's coming up pretty soon. I guess my invitation's been lost in the mail. <laughs> uh, but it is good to be with you guys this morning. You want to be a part of the show, you can. 601-879-4395 is the text on 601-879-4395. So much to get to and so little time to do it. I mean, you had... Of course, we had baseball this weekend. The storylines are abound, so... Uh, out of Oxford, Gunnar Hoagland having to exit the game super early. Should he have been on the field? Should he not have been on the field? Uh, there's criticism to be had here. I mean, I've seen it everywhere. I've received messages on my own asking why he was on the mound in the first place. So we'll get into that. Mississippi State, and I mean this in all compliment, is in cruise control right now in Columbia. Just absolutely running over South Carolina. Got a little bit dicey there for a second yesterday. Um, Just a little bit. But cruising already secured a series win going for the sweep today over what we thought was a good South Carolina team, but they're about to go 0-6 versus Mississippi in consecutive weeks. What the heck happened to them? I mean, I grew up in this state. I graduated high school in 2010, so my high school graduation year was their first national championship. They won one the next year as well. They go from that, back-to-back national champions, storied college baseball program. And I guess they're still okay this year. Like, I'm not diminishing Mississippi State's win because it directly applies to Ole Miss, who beat them last week as well. What the heck happened to South Carolina baseball to where they're not even competitive against Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Generally, good programs here. Mississippi State's one of the best teams in the country, uh, a national championship caliber team, especially the way they're playing right now. But that's what South Carolina used to be. I mean, these series used to be competitive, and South Carolina used to get the better of, of us around here. And now it's not even close. What happened there? And then in Hattiesburg, so you had, and we'll get into this also this morning, Is a seven-inning no-hitter a no-hitter? How should that be scored? How should that be recorded? What should we think about it? Because we saw it in the Major League level. And at the Major League level, they've decided that because they're having to play seven-inning doubleheaders sometimes, they have decided that if you throw a no-hitter through seven, it doesn't count. 
They're not putting an asterisk next to it, nothing. It's not entering in any record book. It is not a no-hitter. Ben Etheridge for Southern Miss yesterday went seven complete, six strikeouts, three... Oh, excuse me. I'm looking at... um, I'm looking at the wrong game. I'm looking at the wrong game. What an idiot uh, on my part. Um, (laughs) I'm sitting here talking about a no-hitter, and I'm looking at a game where a pitcher gave up hits. Um, Is a seven-inning game a no-hitter? Walker Powell is the one who threw the no-hitter yesterday. Etheridge only gave up three hits in seven innings. So So Southern Miss pitching had 14 innings of work yesterday and only gave up three hits combined. But Walker Powell, excuse me, I have all these box scores pulled up to make sure that I can quick access information. I was giving you the wrong one. Does it count? Is that a real no-hitter? Should we be calling? See, I got a text yesterday that said Walker Powell just threw a no-hitter. And I... Did he? We will see. And also, that Chinese rocket was kind of a dud, huh? You guys probably saw the story. It was everywhere. You couldn't escape it. The Chinese rocket that was accidentally launched into orbit was hurling towards the Earth at 18,000 miles per hour, and it could be damaging to anybody in this massive area of people and be on alert because it's going to burn up in the atmosphere and fall gracefully into the Indian Ocean. I mean, I know you got to get clicks and stuff. I get it, right? I mean, I'm in the the content business, but I feel like we probably could have told the people from the beginning that the, the likelihood of this affecting anyone is extremely small to the point where you don't have to worry about it. But alas, we saw the 18,000 miles per hour hurling towards the earth. They have no idea where it's going to land. And this weekend, you've got to be on the lookout. And mostly burned up in the atmosphere. As things tend to do. At least that's what I think I learned in, uh, in astronomy class back in college. I was mostly in that class just so we could look through the, uh, the telescope that they had on campus. That was cool. We only did it once, though. I mean, what a waste of time. I had to sit and do, like, book work three days a week, and one time we got to go actually look at stars. It was lame. But, yeah, I think uh, if you guys didn't know, that Chinese rocket, it landed um, off the coast of Sri Lanka around the Maldives Islands, which are just stunning. I've never been myself, but look at pictures. It's incredible. Um as far as we know, it didn't hit anything, but they've uh, found debris in the ocean and it mostly burned up in the atmosphere. So we're safe. You guys can go outside now. Well, sort of. Be careful out there. <laughs> you never know if there's more pieces from the rocket falling. Also, so on top of baseball, we'll get to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss. On top of all that, you had an incident in Major League Baseball last night where maybe the current best player in the game right now, got injured in what appeared to be retaliation for the last time he hit a home run off of this particular pitcher and did the whole looking at it, flip the bat thing that is viewed as disrespectful or whatever. Next time these guys face each other, couple go way high and inside, two pitches in a row, 
and uh, we'll see if Ronald Acuna is going to be healthy. X-rays did come back negative. He looked like he was in a lot of pain, though. It's like a 97-mile-an-hour fastball he took right off the fingers. That can't feel good. But it raised the typical debate of, you know, unwritten rules in baseball and bat flips and retaliation and stuff like that. So we'll get into that. And also, I got a lot of things to talk about this morning, like I said. Um, and lastly, the name, image, and likeness thing is one that I talk about a good bit because I think it's an important story. Earlier this week, we learned that Georgia is really screwing up right now. But now, in the 11th hour, the head of the NCAA has decided uh, that he wants name, image, and likeness to be a blanket thing across college sports. But it might be too late. It's what he's encouraging, but it might be too late before a handful of states get a head start over everybody else. It's a dumpster fire that he himself created. Now he's trying to fix it when it's too late. It's like getting in a car wreck and asking them just to patch your tire that's got a nail in it. (laughs) There are more important things that you've got to deal with or that you should have dealt with and you're trying to plug a hole when it's too late. It's crazy, but that's that's just what they do. That is just simply, that's just what they do. It's the NCAA for you. But we'll start with baseball. 601-879-4395 is the text line. I, I think, I think I'm going to lead with Ole Miss because of Gunnar Hoagland's injury. Uh, reports are that he's going to get uh, some scans tomorrow. And so we'll know more about a, a long-term prognosis then. But you can imagine he's probably going to get shut down for a few weeks. May or may not see him in the postseason. Um, we shall see. I mean, it's anything ranging from just a couple of weeks to rest it back good to uh, needing surgery. It's um, the forearm, the tightness in the forearm that causes you to pitch the way he did on Friday is not good. You know, breaking news, more at 11. It's not good at all. So uh, we will see. We will see what the scans turn out. But there's a lot of things to take away from him pitching. You know, whose fault is it? Should they have not started him? And then they end up losing the game, a very critical game. They've evened the series. So got to get one today if they want to stay on the right side of hosting, especially because they might be without Hoagland for an extended period of time. Again, that's just projection. I have no idea if that's true or not, but doesn't sound good. So we'll start there and then turn the page over to Mississippi State, who's just kind of dominating right now. Discuss whether or not it's a no-hitter and more with you. at Sports Sunday, Michael Borky riding solo this morning. And again, Texas Show, 601-879-4395. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with you. Back into Sports Sunday. Forgive me. Let me try that again. Welcome back into Sports Sunday, Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky riding solo with you this morning. All right, the storyline of the weekend, I think, the storyline of the weekend around here so far, aside from the no hitter and overall just pitching dominance in Hattiesburg with Walker Powell securing the seven inning no hitter. More on that later, but I think the, the 
main major storyline of the weekend is Gunnar Hoagland. And went out to start on Friday night against Texas A&M and was very clearly off. And not like the he just got barreled up and that happens sometimes. No, no, he was very much off. And after three runs and two-thirds of an inning, he got pulled from the game. And Ole Miss had Derek Diamond ready basically immediately. I mean, it's they were prepared to give that quick hook to Hoagland. So clearly something was off. Something wasn't right there. Um Oh, no. If, if you guys are watching on stream, I guess you can't hear me? That's not good. That's not good at all. I'll try to figure out why that is. I have no idea why that could be happening, uh, to tell you the truth. That's not good. That's a shame. And, and I don't know what to do about that sitting in here on my own. So, uh, oh, well. Oh, well. Um... Just another day doing the Sunday show, right? Yeah. Um, anyway. So if you are able to hear me, uh, Gunnar Hogan was pulled after two-thirds of an inning. Derek Diamond was basically ready. And as we learned after the game, uh, they said on the radio broadcast they thought that he was sick. That was not the case. The guys uh, calling the game for TV, and you have to remember those are – Texas A&M guys uh, because they are there to do the home games for Texas A&M. They do all of the home games there. One of them was a former coach there and God bless him does not need to be behind a microphone. And the other guy, I mean, they know Texas A&M. So not understanding Hoagland's situation makes more sense when you look at it in that context. They're not like ESPN employees who they sent to call the game this weekend. No, those are A&M guys. So they probably were not aware that Gunnar Hoagland missed a start because of arm issues, although it was a different part of his arm a couple weeks ago. Um, they, they don't know. And so it, it, when you look at it in that context, it makes more sense why they did not uh, really understand what was going on. However, they did say that uh, they kept saying that Hoagland got pulled just because they hit him and um, Derek Diamond was the setup man. And that was kind of odd. But anyway, we learned after the game that he had forearm tightness or stiffness. And that's not good. I mean, you guys know possibly where that could lead. The prognosis generally with forearm tightness means something else is wrong in the arm. And it's generally not good. Now, it's possible that and it's happened before where guys have had stiffness or tightness in their forearm and it led to just needing rest and all good, no damage or anything anywhere else in the arm. That very well could be happening here. But the concern was, or the problem is, I should say, the story is when they knew. Because apparently they knew in pregame warm-up that something may have been off. Where there was a couple pitches in the pregame warm-up that he felt a little something. So they get the trainer in. The trainer says he's good to go. They roll him out there in the first inning. He's clearly off. The arm is clearly bothering him. It really gets tight, and they have to pull him early. So that quote after the game, of course, led to a lot of reaction, right? People on either side either defending it because the trainer cleared him or saying that 
Uh, it's pitching malpractice. And I think the truth, as always, guys, I tell you this all the time, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It always does. It's always somewhere in the middle. It's never one extreme or the other. And sadly, in this in this business uh, with sports media, uh, the, you're supposed to just pick one extreme, and I'm just supposed to yell and scream at you about how Mike Bianco is a moron or how you guys are morons and Bianco did the right thing, and that's what I'm supposed to do now. That's what gets some people jobs. Uh, there's no such thing as honest and truthful radio anymore. It's just screaming your head off about something that you don't even believe is true. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Gunnar Hoagland needs to be treated differently than your other players, in my opinion. He is going to be. He he was mocked as a top 10 pick just the other day. I think number 8, if I remember correctly. He is on his way, if he shows up healthy, to having life-altering money. Not just for him, for his kids and probably their kids as well. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are very soon about to be his if he shows up healthy. I mean that you have to treat him differently than just one of your bullpen guys or whatever. If that guy is telling you, "I had some t- stiffness or tightness or whatever on a couple pitches in the warmup," two weeks after you had to scratch him because of an arm issue, you cannot roll him out there. You can't do it. You should not do it. And look at what it led to. However, it's very easy for me to say that. One, with the benefit of hindsight. And two, because an athletic trainer, somebody who knows more about this than me, obviously, went to school for it, studies it, told the coach that he's okay to go. So if you're Mike Bianco, you understand pitching and taking care of arms and what tightness and stuff leads to, obviously. But when you bring in your trainer, the expert in the situation, to tell you what you should do. Is he okay? What is wrong with my pitcher? And he tells you nothing? What other decision can you make? Again, it's very easy for me to say he shouldn't have been out there. He should not have been out there. If he experienced tightness tightness in the warm-up... You don't, winning that game doesn't matter anymore. It's protecting a top 10 pick, saving life-changing money for him, not damaging him, and also opening up the ability for you to get another one of him. Because if, if you mismanage his arm and you damage his arm and things change with his draft status, his pick status, good luck getting another one. Good luck. But when a trainer who's a specialist in this kind of thing, tells you he's good, it's not easy to just say, okay, well, you're wrong, I'm right, he's not pitching. I mean, that's what happens. There there need to be questions now about how you can clear a first-round pick who had arm tightness, to pitch shortly thereafter. And then if he was good to go, if you weren't worried about it, then why was Derek Diamond ready, in the bullpen ready, to come in that early? If you thought that something could go wrong, then you don't pitch him. Or at least you shouldn't. Again, it's very easy for me to question that, but 
I see where people are coming from that are being critical today. Mostly yesterday, but I see where people are coming from. The Texas A&M series doesn't matter. Not really. What matters is having your guy ready for the postseason more so than Friday night. And even if he's not, what matters is getting him healthy to the first round where he's going to be a top 10 pick with life-altering money. Questions need to be asked. Because what was he doing? Hmm. They did lose on a walk-off on Friday night, turned around and uh, bounced back yesterday. We'll get into that more coming up after this heartbreak that I am up against. I'll try to figure out the audio issue, but this isn't this isn't the first time this has happened, and um, I don't know I don't know how to fix it or what to do. But I will try. And uh, we'll see if we'll see if it works after the break. So glad that you're listening to me. If you are, um, even though we make it difficult for you, still thankful for you guys nonetheless. I'll try to figure this out. This is Sports Sunday. I'm Michael Borky. We'll be right back. Seems counterintuitive because I'm playing the song and I like this song, but I think Nirvana is the most overrated. I guess you can call them classic rock now with how old this song in particular is. It's getting up there now. Most overrated, like famous band of all time. I mean, they get so much praise, and I think it's in part because of what happened to them, which is tragic, but yeah. I'm not buying it. If you go like listen to their catalog, it's not the same. But we're not here to talk about music. This is Sports Sunday. I'm Michael Borky. Glad that you are with me. Um, I put it out on Twitter, but if you guys have switched over from the video stream to the audio stream, welcome. Glad to have you. The video stream just is not, just not functional today, um, which is supposed to be. Anyway, uh, glad you guys are with me, though. And talking Ole Miss, we'll transition over to State and Southern Miss here in a little bit, but uh, to finish that thought about Gunnar Hoagland, it's, uh, th- there are questions uh, now about um, what that team is going to be moving forward, uh, if they can get him back. I mean, tomorrow's, if the reporting is correct, and he's getting some kind of scan tomorrow, um, it's a big day. Because, to tell you the truth, I think that while the offense is good enough, And in baseball, you know, anything can happen. I think Ole Miss has the potential, and that's really all they've shown, is the potential to to be able to make up uh, for Gunnar Hoagland, at least in the meantime. I don't know if they're winning a regional or super regional without him, though. I mean, Diamond's good enough if he's going to start to get you through the rest of the season, I think. But when it comes to winning a regional, winning a super regional, um... I don't think they can do it without him. It would be a massive, massive loss. So tomorrow's a a big day uh, for that team and its postseason aspirations, uh, for sure. By the way, breaking news happening right now. If you're uh, into horse racing or anything like that, so there was a really cool story. This just broke, so forgive the non sequitur. Uh, 
Medina Spirit or Medina Spirit, the the horse that won the Kentucky Derby. Uh, it, it was I told you guys the story if you listen to the weekday show um, on Monday that the horse was it was owned by somebody and that person was getting a divorce and they were auctioning off some of her stuff and basically she said just get whatever you can get for the horse I don't want it just sell it and just what whatever the bid is just accept it give me money for the horse they only got one bid and it was for a thousand dollars that was it. So this horse sold for a thousand bucks, and then Bob Baffert, the guy who won his seventh, well, not anymore. More on that in a second. Uh, the guy that won his seventh Kentucky Derby with this horse somehow got this horse to his training facility for about thirty-five thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot. It's not, not for a horse that can win the Kentucky Derby, and they were using it as like a mark horse. Because as it turns out, this is something I learned actually listening to a horse racing expert on a podcast before the Derby. As it turns out, um, horses are herd animals. And while some of them have the natural desire to be in front, you have to teach them to run away from each other. I didn't know that. I I just assumed that they wanted to be the fastest. But as it turns out, some horses uh, just kind of like running with the group. Or even if they are in front of the group, they don't pull away because they they like to run together. They're herd animals. It's what they want to do. They want to run together. So you've got to get that out of them. And so they get these, these mark horses or whatever to run against the higher quality horses that they want to actually win these races to teach them how to win, basically. And that's what this horse was purchased for, was just to be a mark, just to teach the other horses how to win just to lose all the time. And he, he didn't. He kept beating all the other more valuable multi-million dollar horses. And so they decided to start running him in races, and he won the Kentucky Derby. However, that might be taken away. Bob Baffert says, uh, they, so they returned to Louisville today, and now they're having a press conference as I speak right now. Uh, His assistant trainer, Jimmy Barnes, was informed by the Kentucky Racing Commission that Derby winner Medina Spirit or Medina Spirit, I forget which one it was, please forgive me, tested positive for beta-methasone. Baffert says the horse was never given that drug and will fight it. So there you go. Some controversy in horse racing. The winner tested positive. For a performance enhancer. Because of course. 6018794395 is the text line. So turning the page, Ole Miss did get a bounce back win yesterday. Very nice bounce back win. Doug DeCasey was shaky early, but shook it off and pitched well. And the bats came alive. And I mean, that's what Ole Miss should do against a, a bad pitching staff in Texas AM. They should score 12 runs on 12 hits, hit a handful of home runs win comfortably. That's what should have happened and it absolutely did and credit to them for bouncing back. They needed that win badly and they got it. But the story of the game, I mean, aside from the win, which is one that they needed, winning is better than losing, especially when you're teetering on the bubble of hosting or not hosting. Uh, They could not afford to lose this series, especially with Vanderbilt next weekend, potentially having to do it without Gunnar Hoagland. They needed yesterday and they need today badly. 
So they got the win, and that's good. But the story from this game is Tim Elko. Tim Elko, who tore his ACL a month ago. He hadn't had surgery. No, he's playing on a torn ACL. And he can only really pinch hit, and he can't run. So if he hits a single, if he slaps one out into center field and hobbles over to first, they got to take him out because he can't run the bases. But doctors determined, and they have determined that he can swing and not do any further damage. And Elko himself decided, I'll get the surgery later. I want to finish out the season with my guys, which is really admirable because although he wasn't like a super high-level prospect, somebody's going to give him a shot. I mean, he was hitting the cover off the baseball before his injury in the SEC. Somebody was going to give him a chance. He's going to get a shot at professional baseball, and he could have. I would have advised him to get the surgery, try to get healthy as fast as possible to show the professional scouts that you've still got it and they should take a chance on you. He chose the other route. Doctor said he can't hurt it anymore. Slap a brace on it. Let me go hit. And yesterday he did that. In a pinch hit situation, he hits a home run. Took him forever to get around the bases. But man, that was really cool to see. It was a three-run shot opposite way as well. And I say this all the time. When your parents tell you you can do anything, that that was a lie. Because there's no way that I could have, on a torn ACL, hit a home run in a college baseball game. No shot. Uh, he's got a big brace on. It took him, like I said, forever to get around the bases. But what, that is so cool and, and just tough. I mean, that's the thing. That, that takes guts to swing and pivot and turn and all that stuff. Knowing that on the inside of your leg, your ACL is torn still. That takes guts, man. That That is toughness personified right there from Tim Elko. Uh, just to, to come back at all. And then on top of that, to come back and hit a home run on a Saturday in the SEC. That's toughness right there. That is just full-on toughness. And that, that's a really cool thing to see. And uh, we'll see if Ole Miss can close it out. Uh, win the rubber match today. We will see. Turning the page over to Mississippi State up against a hard break, so of course I'll do this more after the break, but Mississippi State got two wins so far this weekend in Columbia. Um, It is on the road, although capacity limitations still there, so it wasn't uh, as big of an atmosphere as it could have been, but it doesn't matter because Mississippi State absolutely dominated South Carolina in the first two games Friday night. Christian McLeod was excellent. Pitched seven complete. Didn't strike out a whole lot. Only six strikeouts. But seven complete, just one hit in those seven innings was absolutely dominant. Over a South Carolina lineup that has some talent in it, especially there's a little bit of pop there as well. It's a team that going into last week was a regional host, top 10 RPI, and he just shut them down. Only three hits combined for South Carolina in the game. And then Mississippi State jumped all over the Gamecocks. 12 hits, 9 runs, 5 spot in the 7th. That really blew the game open. And State just dominated South Carolina last night. And then, or excuse me, Friday night. And then yesterday, it was 9-1. to 
Going into the bottom of the sixth, South Carolina made it a little bit more interesting, but then Mississippi State did the whole, let's put Landon Sims out there and end this mess, and that's exactly what he did. More on this series coming up next at Sports Sunday on Super Talk. And uh, if you're still watching on the video stream, I hope you can read lips. <laughs> we'll be right back. JP says, non sequitur since you just went there and are talking Ole Miss. How bad is Metcalf going to get dusted today? He's going to be Buda Baker in today's sprints. You hope not for the story. It's completely different, though. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I'm engaged. More people are going to be interested in that than they ever would have without DK Metcalf. So, so good on them for realizing that... Um, you know, letting him run would not be the worst thing in the world. He can hit that top-end speed, though. It's just about getting off. The problem with DK is two things. His size, he's got 50, 60 pounds and all these other guys, and while he's an elite athlete, there's in a 100-meter sprint where you're talking tenths of a second difference between embarrassing yourself and not, 50 pounds is pretty significant. And he hasn't run track since high school. He hasn't done any kind of track training since high school. And maybe he's done some preparing for this, but these guys have done it their whole lives. Um, I've read somewhere where a track and field expert said that if he ran a 10-3, that would be impressive at his size and training level. So he might embarrass himself today. I, I think he's too good of an athlete to be totally just lost out there. But I'm curious. I mean... Usain Bolt is his height, I think one inch taller, and 40 pounds lighter. And Usain Bolt's a big guy when you look at him compared to the other runners. So, it's a cool story, though. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, DK Metcalf is trying to qualify for the Olympic trials today. So, it's a qualifier for the qualifier, basically. And he's got to run a 10.05 to guarantee qualification and somewhere in the 10 twos to have a shot and he's running today it's kind of an open tryout I think this was more of an arranged situation but he's running today running the 100 meter sometime this afternoon I don't don't know or remember exactly when or how to watch if we're being honest it's Mother's Day I won't be watching track and field today but I'll try to keep up with it um anyway yeah and yeah JP he's huge I, I mean he will tower physically, like wide and tall, every person in his heat. And I find it so funny. I saw some people in track and field like, oh, he's going to embarrass himself against some real runners. Okay, maybe. But put those, quote, real runners on a football field and tell me who embarrasses who. <laughs> I mean, come on. Are we really going to do the, oh, he's not a real runner thing to that guy? Because I promise you, that guy can do a heck of a lot more than just run in a straight line. Although, NFL teams didn't think so. Yeah, You want to talk about real runner, put 50 pounds on you and tell me if you can run like him. Go over the middle, take a shot from a safety and, and tell me if you're a real runner now. It's so lame. It's so lame. 
Anyway, Mississippi State dominant. They're just in cruise control right now. And I mean that complimentary. I mean, sometimes cruise control can be taken out of context. Like, oh, they're just in cruise control. You know, not really trying or anything like that. Or No, th- this is domination over a quality opponent on the road. And it, it feels like State's peaking at the exact right time as well. Now, South Carolina just got swept by Ole Miss. Maybe they're not as good as we think they are. But just the, the way they're going about it. Uh, the complete non-competitive nature of this series is hard to fathom. And like I said at the beginning, I mean, what happened to South Carolina? This Mississippi State team is elite. Elite. And you got great outings this weekend. Uh, McLeod was excellent. Just like I said at the beginning, one hit in seven complete innings, struck out six. Then you got another really good outing from Bednar. It gave, gave up home runs. Um Or State did, anyway. So, South Carolina's got some power. But he struck out 13 in six innings. So, they've been good out of the pen. The offense has done just enough. They've got a slam-the-door closer. And now, this weekend, they've gotten two quality, quality starts from their pitchers. Mississippi State is playing as complete a baseball as they've played all season long. They're peaking at the right time. You know, it's May now. It's soon to be the middle of May. They're peaking at the right time. They're a championship contender. They are. And they're healthy. Which, as you guys have learned, that that helps some as well. But I did the overreaction Sunday thing after uh, that weekend in Arlington, and I said, you know, both of these teams are championship contenders. That's what they are. And... You know, I was right, at least on state. You could feel it, and now they're proving it. It's a dominant weekend so far, and they'll go for the sweep today. They're tied for the lead in the SEC, by the way. Arkansas lost last night, so I think it's Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi State all tied at the top of the SEC. Interesting couple weeks coming up in baseball before the tournament in Hoover. Hour 2 coming up at Sports Sunday. Don't go anywhere. Hour number 2, Sports Sunday, Super Talk, Mississippi. Michael Borky riding solo with you. Steven is on his bachelor party. I guess it's over now. I haven't checked in with him this weekend. I, I, I'm going to at some point today just to make sure that uh, that he made it through, that he didn't have one too many hurricanes at Pat O's. Hope he's all right. I didn't give him any recommendations. Apparently his group uh, had it covered for him, but uh, last week I was even making him a list. So hopefully he hit some of those. And uh, if he's here next Sunday, you know he made it. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395 is the way to do it on the text line. 601-879-42. Wait. 601-879-4295? Isn't that what it is? (laughs) I forgot the text line. I have actually called the text line on accident trying to get a hold of my wife. 4395. 601 879 4395. Yeah. <laughs> 601 
879-4395. Let's see. Test. This is so embarrassing. I thought I had this remembered by now. Yeah. <laughs> I thought um I thought that was my wife's phone number one day, not too terribly long ago. Yeah, that's it. 43. I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh man, doing shows solo is uh, is tough, but it uh, especially if you forget things. So Glad you guys are with me nonetheless. All right, this thing happened in baseball last night, and I don't know for sure if this is why Acuna got hit, but it exposes a problem that I have with baseball, with Major League Baseball in particular. Something that really bothers me, and we've talked about it to some degree before, but last night's another example. So Ronald Acuna last night was facing Sam Coonrod. And he's a guy that last time they faced each other, Acuna hit a home run. And kind of admired it a little bit last time that they faced each other. And I don't know if it spilled over to last night or not. I am not going to apply intention to somebody that it wasn't there. However, the first two pitches that Acuna saw last night were high and tight that almost hit him in the head, but missed. And then high and tight again that hit him on the hands and he had to leave the game. He was diagnosed with uh, finger contusion, which is just a deep bruise, so nothing broken, which is good. But a major league pitcher throwing two pitches, missing that far high and inside, shouldn't happen, even if it was on accident. But it led to the ages-old debate of respecting the game and stuff like that. Even some people that do this, that talk on the old radio here, um, were happy about it? Because... Ronald Acuna does not respect the game and didn't respect the game. Last time, he was facing Philly. He did a little bat flip and stuff like that. And so he should have gotten thrown at. It's the unwritten rules of baseball. And I've heard that from some of you guys before, is that if you bat flip or whatever, if you take too long to round the bases, we did it with Southern Miss and ULL. We played it on this show a couple of times, where the ULL radio play-by-play guy was furious that a Southern Miss batter took too long to get around the bases. Because, and he said, next time he should be thrown at. That mentality needs to be out of baseball. Needs to be out of sports. Policing how other people act is something that you should not do. And for... People my age get mocked. I'm 29. I'm a millennial. Millennials get mocked all the time in news media. On this network sometimes about how we're soft. You know, we're not tough anymore. We don't know what it's like to go through real troubles. We're spoiled. That kind of stuff. We hear that all the time, especially in baseball. This old mentality of... Millennials are ruining baseball with bat flips and stuff like that. 
if you're going to be the 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 toughness person, you know what isn't tough? What isn't mentally strong? What's pretty weak and kind of pathetic? Is when somebody beats you, hits a home run off of you, and tosses their bat and looks at it for a long time? You think the best course of action is to try to injure them the next time you see them. What's tough about that? What's mentally strong about that? Nothing. It's weak. It's kind of sad. You know, what a strong person does, what a mentally tough person does, is nothing. They remember in their mind, they keep note, hey, that guy bat flipped on me next last time I saw him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to strike him out this time. Flip your bat now. That's what you do. If somebody else is going to talk, if somebody else is going to run their mouth, if somebody else is going to disrespect the game, what you should do is shut them down so they can't do it anymore. That's what mental toughness is. That's what strength is. In this school of thought in baseball that these Philly guys that do radio and otherwise, if if they think that that is toughness, if that's respecting the game, trying to injure somebody, is that respecting the game? No. It's weak. It's weak is what it is. That's what my dad taught me, but I guess I'm just a silly millennial. My dad taught me that if somebody beats me, you don't talk to them. You don't You do not do anything. What you do is you try to beat them next time you see them. That's what you do. You don't police other people's actions. Worry about yourself and yourself only. Control only what you can control. And if you don't like how a guy acts towards you, you beat him. And that's it. You don't talk, you don't throw at him, you don't retaliate in any other way besides the field. That's how you shut people up. That's how you stop bat flips. You want to stop guys bat flipping on you? Strike them out. But this this idea that if a guy flips his bat and, quote, disrespects the game, he should be thrown at is ludicrous. And that mentality needs to get out of baseball. For for a sport and a fan base that is so um filled with that kind of talk. It, for that to be the accepted response is just kind of silly to me. It's just kind of silly. It needs to get out of the game because that's not tough. That's weak. Anyway. Anyway, saw that last night. Frustrated me. Had to get to it at some point today. And uh, just saw the prognosis on Acuna, so that's why I brought that up here. So we got to Ole Miss, we got to Mississippi State, Southern Miss. I mean, just I mean, Middle Tennessee is not really on their level. You expected, hoped, or probably expected them to win three, probably four this week, and it looks like they're well on their way to do that. But the pitching for Southern Miss is just unbelievable right now, and it doesn't sound like they're going to be a host. 
if you guys are, are live stream listeners in the morning, I told you it's simply because, and this isn't, I don't think this is right. I think this is why it happens. The state of Mississippi is not going to get three regional hosts. I, I think even if Southern Miss deserved it, they would find a way to give it to somebody else. That's just me. I, I just know how the NCAA has acted in the past. And for 16 regional sites, three of which given to Mississippi, just does not strike me as something that they would do, even if Southern Miss would deserve it. But the way they pitched it this weekend underscores why, if you're Ole Miss or Mississippi State and you're hosting, Ole Miss has to win today if they want to be a host. Um, at least I think so. At least to maintain being on the right side of it anyway. You don't want to see this team in your regional. Because it's not just that they have pitching that's good. It's they have a lot of it that's good. I'll give you the numbers from the weekend next. They were dominant, but just how dominant? Kind of mind-blowing. And then we'll do the uh, whether or not it should be a no-hitter thing. Because I think the answer is pretty simple, but apparently not for some. We'll get to that next at Sports Sunday. The scores were two to one in ten innings, six to nothing, and nine to nothing. So dominating weekend so far for Southern Miss over Middle Tennessee. But look at these stat lines. Hunter Stanley. And this is so stupid about baseball and stats. He goes nine complete, struck out 16, only two hits in the game. Southern Miss wins the game, and he doesn't get the win. I know, I know they had to go into extras, and he was not the pitcher in the 10th inning. But how you can strike out 16 on nine complete in two hits and not be the winning pitcher in a game in which your team won, I mean, come on. Come on. But that's uh, Hunter Stanley, nine complete, 16 strikeouts, two hits. On yesterday, game one, Walker Powell. Seven innings complete because it's a seven-inning doubleheader. Twelve strikeouts, one walk, zero hits. And then in game three of the series, Ben Etheridge, complete game, three hits, six strikeouts, no earned runs. Southern miss pitching. Let me do the math real quick. 16 plus 12. That's 28, right? 34 strikeouts. 34 strikeouts in three games, two of which were seven innings. And they have only given up on the weekend one run. That's unfathomable. Or is it, though, with this pitching staff? Incredible numbers. I mean, and it begs the question um, is it a no-hitter? That's the question. So in Major League Baseball, they actually answered this question. You've had a seven-inning no-hitter already this year, and it does not count. It does not go into the record books. It does not count. There are people on both sides of this thing. Some people say it should, that it should just go in as a no-hitter. The game length is the game length. They decided this year in Major League Baseball that seven innings is a complete game if it is a doubleheader. It's a full game. So 
does it say in the record book that a no-hitter has to be nine no-hit innings? I mean, it, it might. That's a genuine question. Does it say that? I doubt it, but does it say that? Well, then if somebody pitches 10 innings and have no hits through nine but give up a hit in the 10th, then that's a no-hitter then, right? Because it's they have to pitch nine. I think it's kind of silly. So there are some people that think that, hey, it's a complete game. The game length is the game length. Did he have a no-hitter or not? And then there are some people that are sticklers to it and say that it has to be nine. And if it's not nine, doesn't count. Sorry. I think there have been, the numbers in the 80s for sure, seven inning no-hitters that were ended in the 8th or the ninth. So somebody was had no hits through 7, and that bid ended in the 8th or the ninth. So they have an argument. I think the answer is really quite simple. Just an asterisk. That's all. What's so hard about that? Does anybody know what's so hard about that? Just in Cooperstown for Major League Baseball, but in the record books in Conference USA and College Baseball, just put, very simply, Powell, comma, Walker, University of Southern Mississippi, on, what was yesterday? May 8th, 2021, no hitter versus Middle Tennessee State University, Asterisk. And then at the bottom of the page, seven inning game. What's so hard about that? Does anybody know what is so hard about that? I mean, it makes sense, right? You acknowledge that it wasn't a full nine inning game, which they should be playing. The the whole four games in a weekend thing in Conference USA, in hindsight, I think was a bad decision. But that's the game length that they decided on. Were there any hits in the game? No. So it's a no-hitter. That simple. I don't think it's really up for debate. I do agree with you, though, JP. I mean, play play real baseball. I don't, I don't like the seven-inning thing. I understand why they have to do it, preserving arms and stuff like that. But my gosh, I mean, especially in the majors, I get in college. If you're having to play four games in a weekend, which, again, I think was a mistake. In hindsight, it was a mistake. And you have limited roster sizes. You can't move guys up and down, right? Like, you can't call up a really good arm from your AAA team to pitch and then send him back down when you're done needing him. You don't really have that advantage in college baseball. Your roster size is your roster size, and you can't make moves. But watching Major League Baseball play shortened games is crazy to me. I mean, could you imagine the NBA and the second night of a back-to-back saying, actually, we're going to end this game after three quarters because you guys played yesterday. Or the NFL going to like a running clock or something on a team because they played Monday night and then are playing Sunday afternoon. Well, it's a shorter week though, so we gotta, you know, we gotta adjust things. No, we shouldn't do it that way. It's a little bit different. Every sport's different, obviously, but 
for Major League Baseball, this seven-inning thing doesn't make any sense to me. These are professionals, first of all, and expand the roster sizes if you need to. Let them add a couple more guys in the bullpen. Why not? But but this shorten games to... If you have to alter the time on the clock, if you will. I know baseball's not timed, but you get my point. If you have to alter the time on the clock, then maybe you're playing too many games. Hmm. 601-879-4395 is the text line. Yeah, maybe they are playing too many games. Because they've had that problem in basketball this year. A lot of guys are getting hurt because they're playing too many games. They're playing every other night, sometimes back-to-back. I mean, that's not healthy. That's not good at all. Player safety is um, is a concern right now. Every, every team's got guys getting hurt on it. And a lot of it can be attributed back to having to play so often. So, maybe they've got too many games, too. You could really make these regular seasons interesting if you cut 40 games off the baseball season and 15 games off the basketball season. That's kind of been something that I've thought about. I don't think this will be the case, but when it comes to the 17-game expansion in the NFL, so they're going from 16 to 17 this year, I wonder if it saturates things a little bit. It's just one game, so, so maybe not. But the more you add, the less they matter. Right? If you went from 162 in baseball down to 130, wouldn't every game matter a little bit more? If you went from 82 in basketball to 70, 65, wouldn't they all matter a little bit more? Wouldn't you get maximum effort every night? I think that would change things. I wonder if that's going to come into effect in the NFL. I don't think so. Because uh, football is just a whole different animal. But by week 17, I'm kind of fatigued anyway. Like, I'm kind of ready for the playoffs to start. So now we've got week 18. It's good for content purposes, for sure. And don't get me wrong, I love the sport, but man, it, sometimes it kind of gets tiring getting up for all these games every week. I need a little break. Especially after Saturday being what it is for for us around here. Going from Saturday to Sunday 18 times a year is kind of of a lot. Need to take advantage of my time off next year. I haven't heard anybody bring that up. Maybe because they're not worried about it. But I do think that the more you add, the more it saturates the regular season. But they love money, and more games equals more money, I guess. It's great to be with you on this Sunday. I am Michael Borky, again, riding solo Stevens on his bachelor party, if you're missing him. I know some of you are. But it is good to be with you. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Hope all of you have a really nice day. And uh, happy Mother's Day.
We'll be right back at Sports Sunday. Random kind of funny story for you in the NFL. Former UCLA, Sacramento State, and Washington quarterback Kevin Thompson is going to try out for the Carolina Panthers next week. Have rookie camps. Some of them have already started, I guess, but I get. I think Carolina is a, a little bit behind. Either way, the Panthers extended that invitation quickly after Thompson who opted to forego his eighth season of college eligibility, went undrafted. Yes, he could have returned if he wanted to for an eighth season of college eligibility. I assume it's redshirt, medical redshirt, COVID, and I don't know what else it could be. Maybe he got some kind of hardship waiver or, or something like that. But yeah, there was a guy out there that could have played eight seasons <laughs> or at least been eligible for eight seasons of college football. He would have had a wife and two kids by the time he was done. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, that is That is hilarious. All right, so this story happened last night. Mark Emmert, you guys know how I feel about Mark Emmert, right? I think he's a clown. Uh, and not in the Roger Goodell kind of way, because Roger Goodell's making a ton of money for the NFL. It's growing. It's very healthy. It's doing a really good job. He's a goofball. I don't like the way certain things uh, are handled in the league. However, his main job is to make the league as much money as possible, and he is excellent at that job. I think Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, is bad at literally everything that his job entails. Every single thing that he is supposed to do at the NCAA, he is bad at. All of it. Television contracts, as we've learned recently, leaving potentially hundreds of millions, if not a billion plus, on the table. So he stinks at that. Enforcement of their rules is an embarrassment. Putting on championship events for all of their athletes. Remember, the NCAA is a non-profit, so anytime somebody tries to say, well, the women shouldn't have had the same tournament amenities as the men because the men makes more money, not in this case. Their job at the NCAA is to make it as equal as possible, which is something that I support wholeheartedly. The women should be accommodated, accommodated the same as the men. Yes, the men's tournament makes money. The women's tournament does not. But the NCAA is not a for-profit entity. They are not a capitalist company. They are the organization that is supposed to support the athletes the same, and they failed at that, and they've done it again. Everything the NCAA does, rules, enforcement, new rules, television contracts, supporting the athletes, everything they do is awful. And now Mark Emmert's trying to do the CYA move, and I don't think we should buy it. Headline from Sports Illustrated, NCAA President Mark Emmert recommends action on NIL rules by July. He said he recommends the approval of name, image, and likeness before or as close to July 1st as possible. 
New laws permitting NCAA athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness in limited capacity will take effect in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, although their law stinks, Arizona and New Mexico, and Mississippi. He said, quote, we need to get a vote on these rules that are in front of the members right now. The NCAA was scheduled to vote on NAL rights proposal in January before voting to indefinitely postpone making a decision on the plan. That's right, they could have gotten ahead of this months ago, years ago, but months ago, and decided just to table it, hoping that Congress would act. Because if we need anything in this world right now, in this country right now, it's Congress, the incompetent fools that are in Congress, all of them, by the way, I'm not being partisan here, all of them, they have more important things to worry about than college sports, or at least they should. So trying to make this a congressional issue when you could handle it yourself is pathetic. But that's Mark Emmert in the NCAA. I don't want Congress to act on this. They shouldn't have to. Like I said, they've got more important things to worry about. You know, there's, although... Case numbers are looking phenomenal. There still is a pandemic and stuff like that. Our deficit is incredibly high and rising. I'm taxed too much. You're taxed too much. Our health insurance is way too expensive, especially all of us listening for sure. It's easy to to not worry about health care, right, when it gets paid for for you, like the people in Congress, but not us. Our health care is really high. Crime rates are up in some places. There are things that our politicians should be doing right now that are not worried about college sports. I would prefer they just stayed out of it, personally. Because if we had leadership that did it right, it wouldn't be an issue. But here's Mark Emmert. The plan has been sitting with NCAA members for months, would let college athletes make money through advertisements via their social media accounts while giving universities power to block sponsorships that conflict with existing institutional sponsorship agreements. NAL laws vary by state, creating various legal gray areas and potential competitive gaps that has led Emmert to call for the approval of a widespread plan. Now, here's the thing. While I do think Congress... And even state legislatures should have more important things to do. I'm at least glad that Mississippi's in the front of this. And they didn't put any restrictions on these laws other than gambling and tobacco and alcohol. I get the gambling side. I think a 21-year-old athlete should um, be able to have a beer sponsor if he so chooses. I I think or she uh, so choose. I don't see the problem with that. I don't have a moral objection to that. If you're of legal age, you should be allowed to endorse it. That's just me. They sell beer at the games, right? If you're old enough to drink one, you should be able to endorse one. But Mississippi's law is not restrictive, aside from gambling and that, which I'm okay with. I don't like it, but I'm okay with it. Schools have no power over what the athletes do. None. Not here. Have no power. Matt Corral, this summer, can go make what he wants, and I support that. I'm glad at least because Mississippi got into it, and I don't think lawmakers should, this isn't their thing, but since they did, at least here they got it right. Unlike in Georgia, where they're letting the schools be able to take 75% of what a player earns to redistribute it among players that didn't earn anything. 
I'm glad at least we got it right here. <laughs> hey, I hear you. I get a text that says, I'd prefer they stay out of everything except the military and making sure the roads are passable. They screw up everything they touch. <laughs> I hear you, man. Um, I know this is a sports show. I'm not supposed to get political, but I think you guys know me by now that the only time I bring up politics is basically when I say, like, they're all bad. <laughs> so at least you know that that, that that's my position, I, I suppose. I know I shouldn't do it. I, I don't think you should, but... The head of the NCAA begging Congress to act on something that isn't in their wheelhouse. They screw up everything, like you said. And it's something that you could have done months, if not years ago. It's just pathetic leadership. That's weakness at the top. If you think, as the head of the NCAA, that this should happen, then go make it happen. Go do it. But he's dragged his feet. And so... If Congress doesn't act or they don't get the votes in time, Mississippi athletes are going to go get to make bank, while Tennessee athletes cannot. It's a dumpster fire. At least we get to benefit from it for a little while. But it's a dumpster fire right now. A complete dumpster fire. And it's all his fault. So this is just, I think this is just so sad that now suddenly... In the 11th hour, when it's probably too late, when he could have gotten ahead of this months ago, when laws are coming into effect this summer, different laws in different states. And by the way, although I just said that Congress and legislature should stay out of it, if the NCAA passes NIL rights and they are more restrictive than Mississippi's laws, I would encourage the legislatures here to uphold their law and make it to where the athletes here are not restricted. That's what I would do. I would support that. And I, I like I said, I don't support legislatures getting involved in sports. But if the NCAA tries to restrict these kids more than our law here, make sure that's not possible. Got one more segment with you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this morning. 601-879-4395 is the text line. We'll be right back. I generally wouldn't talk high school softball playoffs in Alabama here with you. But there's a box score I've got to read to you guys. You won't believe this, but it happened. And if you're the praying type, please lift one up to every person that was in attendance for this. Lanier in Park Crossing softball. Final score of 46 to 45. Lanier had uh, four runs in the top of the first, and Park Crossing responded with 11 in the bottom of the first. And Lanier, bad inning, only had one in the top of the second, and Park Crossing had seven in the bottom of the second. They each traded a two spot in the third, and then here came Lanier with a 12 spot in the top of the fourth. Park Crossing responded with just two more. In the bottom of the fourth. Eight and ten in the fifth. 
11 and 10 in the sixth, and 7 and 4, including the game winner in the bottom of the seventh for Park Crossing. Those 46 runs for Park Crossing came on 15 hits, and they had eight errors in the game. The 45 runs for Lanier, 45 runs came on five hits. And they had six errors themselves. Lanier's pitcher, young lady by the last name Young, don't know her first name, pitched six in a third inning. She had gave up those 15 hits, all 46 runs. 34 of them were earned. 23 walks to four strikeouts. On the other side, I don't know if the box score is messed up or there are two different K. Kirks on the team, but three pitchers for Park Crossing. K. Kirk started the game. Maybe they could put her back in. I don't know. She pitched four and two-thirds, gave up four hits, 25 runs, 19 of them earned, and 26 walks. Then Meeks came in, pitched an inning and two-thirds, gave up just one hit, but 13 runs. <laughs> And nine walks in that inning and two-thirds. And then Kirk came back in, pitched two-thirds of an inning, gave up seven runs, and had seven walks. So in the game, Parks Crossing was walked 23 times, and Lanier was walked 42 times in the game. Oh man, that was a playoff, a playoff softball game. Speaking of government, I think the local government there should just hand out like a hundred dollar stimulus checks to every person in attendance for pain and suffering. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine trying? Could you imagine being the umpire? I mean, how far do you expand your strike zone at that point? Like, if a girl just like throws it and the catcher catches it anywhere, just start calling strikes. <laughs> oh my gosh! I wonder how long this game took. I'm sure I could find out. I guess, but oh man, I I, I truly feel bad for everyone in attendance. So, whew. Glad you guys are with me today. Doing doing these solo things, running the board and stuff is tough. So I appreciate your patience with me today. Glad you guys are with me. Uh, Ole Miss split this, the first two games with Texas A&M. They got a big rubber match coming up today at 1 o'clock. Mississippi State has already taken the series from South Carolina. Going to just stay in the national seed, get a sweep today. They could possibly move up, especially with Arkansas losing to Georgia yesterday. So, really nice weekend already for Mississippi State. We'll see if they can sweep it out today. Southern Miss already got three. Just dominant pitching across the board. Ronald Acuna was hit on the hand, and I think that it is a mentality that should be taken out of baseball. Mark Emmert is a clown. You guys probably just recently heard that. And then, a high school box score you couldn't believe. That, my friends, is two hours of solo radio on Mother's Day.
I hope uh, I hope you guys have a, a happy day. Whatever you're doing on this Mother's Day, enjoy your baseball if you're allowed to watch it today. I think I might have to watch the replays after somebody goes to bed. I think that might be my day today. But anyway, you guys have a great one. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back at full strength next week, hopefully with functioning video stream audio. Hopefully. Y'all have a good week. I'll talk to you next week. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.